Well, hello again, everyone. I know I've already introduced Riley, so I won't reintroduce him, but this is Riley. And uh, I just wanted to pray for him before he brings us the word this morning. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for Riley. Thank you for the gifts that you've given him, and thank you for this opportunity that he has uh, to preach your word this morning. Lord, as he speaks about the, the cries of our heart to, to you, God, I pray that you would bless him and just give him confidence in sharing what he's prepared and what you've laid on his heart. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts as well to receive what you have for us this morning. Amen. Thank you, Ben. <clears throat> Good morning. Good morning. A song, a song, not even songs, a song to the unknown God. A cry amidst our culture that cannot be answered by trite trivia or social policies. Today we investigate how the God revealed in Jesus Jesus Christ comes to our rescue within brokenness and pain of our world. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Riley Duick, as uh, you've already heard, and it's a pleasure to be teaching this morning at North Island Community Church, Yorkson Campus. You may know me uh, for being a regular attendee here at Yorkson, or you maybe have seen me serving at one of North Langley's weekly young adult gatherings. I've been a member at North Langley for a year. I've been at the Yorkson campus for two years, and I've been attending since uh, attending Walnut Grove uh, North Langley since 2009. In my normal life, I'm a sixth grade teacher, uh, but in my side gigs, I do love coaching volleyball, and I love podcasting. So finally, uh, you may remember that last year I had the opportunity to speak around the same time, uh, but last year was with Jeff. But this year Jeff has let go of the leash and let me speak on my own this year, so uh, I'm very excited for that. If this is your first time at NLCC, I want to welcome you to our Yorkson campus. This is where I found so many warm personalities that I hope you have the opportunity to meet as well. If this is your first time at church, I want to welcome you with open arms. This is where we meet weekly to encounter our Lord Jesus Christ through worship, sacrament, and scripture. I hope this can be a safe place where you can encounter God as he has been searching for you. Finally, if this is your first Sunday with us during a Songs to the Unknown God message, I should let you know that this series intends to listen to the cultural cries in secular music and present how the God revealed in Jesus comes to answer that cry. This series takes its inspiration from a story in Acts 17, where the Apostle Paul, Christianity's first missionary, is traveling through Athens, Greece. While walking around the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill, a place known for many idols to many gods, specifically Mars, the god of war, Paul stumbles across an altar with an inscription that says, to the unknown God. Upon seeing this, Paul proclaims to the Greeks the God they have yet to know, Jesus Christ. The best part is, is that he proclaims Jesus to them using poetry and philosophy of the Greeks. He doesn't quote Jewish prophets or followers of Jesus. In fact, he goes on to quote current Greek poets, Epimenides and Aratus, word for word to explain the true creator God revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, he uses the language of Greek culture to explain who God is. In turn, we will journey on a similar quest as we look at modern poets and songwriters from our current generation. The artist we're going to be looking at today is an American rock band from Ithaca, New York. They're best known as the Ex-Ambassadors. 
While they may not be as widely known as top pop artists, they have made a mark on the music scene with songs like Renegades, probably most heard in a 2015 Jeep Renegade commercial. Their song, I Don't Know How to Pray, comes from their latest album called Orion, and will be the song that we investigate today. The song is indeed a prayer to an unknown God, where the lead singer paints a picture of frustration and turmoil, worthlessness, hopelessness, and distress. The song is a cry, a lament of desperation. The song's authenticity abounds as the singer dives into its pain. Now this may sound odd, but a song like this actually fits with our time of year. The month of August falls liturgically in what we would call ordinary time, which is a solemn time of waiting, making it fitting to hear a lament. Now, if you remember my teaching from last year, it's safe to say that this year, again, I have not chosen an uplifting and encouraging Praise 1065 type song. And I find that interesting. Isn't that fascinating that sometimes we need to leave classic Christian circles to find the authenticity that can come with a song like this. That isn't to say that there isn't a place for art that uplifts and encourages. That's not the point. It's just that there's a whole area of life that many songs on Christian radio fail to recognize. And that's why this sermon series can be so powerful. When asked about the song, lead singer Sam Harris explains that The song kind of came out of a real situation. In his own words, he elaborates, my brother had a seizure out of nowhere and it was really crazy. It was just really, really violent. And I was in the hospital with him and he was still unconscious. I grew up culturally Jewish, but not a practicing Jew. And I haven't really ever ascribed to any sort of religion. But when I consider, but I consider myself a spiritual person And in the moment, when I saw what was happening and I was waiting what the doctors were going to say, I just went into the bathroom and I didn't know what I was doing, but I just got on my hands and knees and prayed. Please, God, I don't know how to do this. Just help this. At the same time of this tragedy, Harris explains that he was also going through a serious conflict with a close friend in which he was struggling to reconcile and forgive. All things considered, the song presents a devastating situation, one so devastating that invoking the divine is a plausible act, even for someone who does not ascribe to religion. Today's song is dark, and the answers are mysterious and messy. But my prayer for today is that through the troubles of our world, we would find hope rooted in God's incoming kingdom as Jesus has overcome the sin and evil of our world. Let's pray real quick. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear as we listen to this song, as we listen to this cry. I pray for many of us who are going through similar suffering and turmoil. I just pray that this song would speak to us and that you would speak to us. Uh, We thank you for who you are, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. With that in mind, let's listen to ex-ambassadors. I don't know how to pray.
that situations like this can be all around us and that some people here may resonate with the suffering and desperation illustrated in the song. I also want to mention that the church was actually built for comforting those in times of distress and healing for those suffering from afflictions. And I'm glad that if that's you, that you're here. However, these situations are tough and they are not always something we're comfortable with in culture, specifically Christian culture. I can't help but think that if singer Sam Harris approached a group of Christians with his urgent, earnest, and sorrowful prayer, that he may be met with platitudes, such as, well, God is never silent. He always says yes, no, or wait. God will make a way in your situation, or sending thoughts and prayers, or maybe worst of all, don't worry, be happy. Before I sound too scathing, as that's not the case that I want to present, I recognize that I believe that God hears and answers prayer. I love what Carter Calhoun said a few weeks ago here at Yorkson. He says, I believe in miraculous answers to prayer because I believe in the power of Christ and the mystery of God. And to that I say amen and amen. However, cheap Christian platitudes never recognize the tragedy of the moment. They overlook the situation, trying to numb pain with words of little meaning. While I've never been one for platitudes, I know that failing to recognize difficult emotions is definitely in my wheelhouse. A number of weeks ago, again, Carter Calhoun spoke, and it was, it was amazing. I can't, I can't stress that enough if you want to go listen to the podcast. He mentioned the Enneagram, which is a personality transformation system uh, that was developed by ancient Christian monks. And on the Enneagram, I'm a number seven. And the seven is the champion of silver linings, sometimes called the enthusiast or the optimist. While this glass-half-full attitude can be cheery, it can often lead to extreme avoidance of tragic and hard emotions. To illustrate, a seven may create a glass-half-full scenario, 
when the glass is actually far from full, resulting in limited perseverance and sometimes shallow friendships. While this may seem obvious, fabricated North American phrases and responses that look or sound like these are not the answer for someone praying on their knees in a bathroom to a Lord they don't know. I emphasize North American because this Christianese, as some may say, has originated in our own culture, not the culture of early Christians or ancient Jews. Interestingly, in the Bible, we have an ancient Israelite character who would not have known anything about these cheesy Christian sayings. First off, because he isn't Christian, he's Jewish, and because he would often lament similarly to ex-ambassador's lead singer, Sam Harris. His name is David, a king, a poet, and a musician. One of his most famous psalms is far from happy, clappy Christian memes, but sounds a lot more like the ex-ambassadors. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to Psalm 22. The book of Psalms is approximately in the middle of your Bible, and it consists of prayers and poems written by David and others while David was king of Israel. And like our sermon series, these poems were often set to the tune of music. If you've ever read the Psalms, you know that David was actually quite a moody character. You see, one moment it sounds like he's on top of the world praising God, and the next moment he's yelling and complaining to God in his despair. In fact, psalms of lament are much more popular than we think. That's quite often because we so seldom read them. However, while many psalms play a major role in the life and teachings of Jesus, Psalm 22 takes a central spotlight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalm starts. Jesus quotes this psalm while on the cross. And that is no coincidence. In fact, psalms weren't known by their number, like they are in our Bible. They were known by their first line. So Jesus uses this intentionally. With that in mind, let's read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you, trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. 
I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a postern, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots for my garment. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the powers of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to the people in the assembly. I will praise you. For you, fear, for you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation will bow down before him. According to the psalm, God has forsaken David. Using animal imagery, David depicts his situation as being encircled by bulls, near to roaring lions, and surrounded by dogs. Using bodily imagery, David illustrates that his bones have been dislocated. His body is pierced, his heart has dissolved, and he lays in the dust of death. Finally, to cap off his situation, he explains that his trust in God has led to being despised by the people, gloated over and naked and vulnerable in front of them, a worm, not a man. He says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. If you're familiar with the gospel stories, you'll know that this is a clear connection to the crucifixion wounds of Jesus, pierced hands and pierced feet, and the clothes of Christ, which were also gambled over. David picks, uh, depicts a picture of turmoil and tragedy. In his illustration, it cannot get worse. Jesus alludes to this psalm because in the scene where the good creator God of the universe hangs forsaken on a cross, it cannot get worse. Imagine life's worst tragedy. That is what Psalm 22 is about. When I hear David in Psalm 22, I cannot help but hear echoes of the ex-ambassador singer Sam Harris. When David says, I am, a, I am not a man but a worm, I hear Harris singing, I don't know how to pray. 
all I am is worthless. When I hear David say, my heart is dissolved, I hear Harris saying that he cannot seem to forgive his lifelong friend. Finally, when I hear David say that he lies in the dust of death, I hear Harris confronting the tragedy of his brother's accident and appealing to God for his healing. David's psalm, Harris's psalm, and Christ on the cross exude desperation. And even in desperation, what does David say? I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. What? Isn't David crazy? In a situation like this, our gut instinct is to run and leave God. For there is nothing in our life worth praising amidst tragedy. What does David see that I cannot see in my tragedy? If we reread verses 4 and 5, we hear David say, In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. It's important to recognize that God has a track record with Israel. David's ancestor Abraham was promised that all nations of earth would be blessed through him and his family. David's ancestors in Egypt were slaves and were set free from captivity through the power of the Creator God. Finally, David's God came and dwelt among Israel in the tabernacle, showing that he is a God who is near to his people. Often pastors and theologians will reference the grand narrative of Scripture and how we play a part in that story. In David's moment, there was already a grand narrative beginning to be written for him to trust in God's promise and blessings that are at work at a cosmic level grander than his sufferings. I'm going to say that again. In David's moment, there was already a grand narrative written for him to trust in God's promise and blessings that are at work at a cosmic level grander than his sufferings. God is at work, and he is greater than our sufferings. Now, this is not to undercut tragedy. I mentioned I have no interest in doing that. This is not to be a cop-out or some cheap trick to answer why do bad things happen to good people. However, I want to recognize that through our pain and through our tragedy, there is a grander story at work, a cosmic story. To get closer to this grand story God is telling, we need to look at the clearest picture of God that we have, Jesus Christ. On the night Jesus would be betrayed, he prayed for another way out of crucifixion. There was no answer on the cross. 
And Jesus prays Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he died. The pinnacle of suffering. The greatest tragedy. This is not to say that Jesus was let down by God or that his prayer was in vain. Actually, far from it. Because this is actually how he taught his disciples to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray for God's kingdom, God's perfect kingdom, to come to earth, just like it is in heaven. Jesus gave us a picture of God's kingdom during his ministry. In his kingdom, sickness is met with healing. Hunger is met with nourishment. Darkness is met with light. And sin and evil is sent running. As followers of Christ, we are taught to pray for this kingdom to come. Lord, bring your kingdom, your healing, your light, your restoration to our broken world of sickness, darkness, tragedy, and sin. In a podcast episode, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright explains that when we pray for healing or when we cry out in desperation to our Lord for deliverance, we are praying for God's restored kingdom to come in our lives on this earth. Thy kingdom come is the umbrella under which our prayers are uttered. So when Sam Harris, lead singer of the Ex-Ambassadors, finds himself on the floor of his bathroom crying out, Jesus tells us that prayers like this are our longing for God's kingship and kingdom in our lives right now. Again, I don't want to run into an issue where someone's cry of desperation is met with, don't worry, be happy. That isn't the point. The point is to root our hope in a cosmic narrative that transcends our tragedies. To root our hope in a cosmic narrative that transcends our tragedies. In John 16, Jesus urges his disciples, the ones closest to him, that their grief would turn to joy. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Beautiful. Jesus has overcome the world's evil. He has triumphed, and his kingdom is on the way. In fact, it's here. God's kingdom was inaugurated when Jesus was on the cross, wearing a king's crown of thorns and a banner naming Jesus King of the Jews. And this kingdom was finally set into motion when Jesus appears resurrected, thus defeating death. The hope of God's kingdom is grand, beautiful, and the greatest story of conquering evil in our world's history. This hope is amazing. However, I do recognize that this hope is not a simple, okay, I'm better now. It isn't a don't worry, be happy. That hope would not instantly heal Sam Harris in his grief. That is often because we're so good at twisting Jesus' words back at him. You see, Jesus tells us that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, Christ has overcome the world. 
And we hear that and sometimes we say it backwards and say, well, I know you have overcome the world, God, but look, I have trouble. My brother's sick. My relationships are in turmoil. Help. And this is reasonable. In fact, I've been there. I've said that type of prayer. God, I understand that you're at work, but I can't help but think you can't see me right now. But when we speak this way, we mishear Jesus. Jesus recognizes the trouble and sin in our world and tells his followers to take heart. To take heart. Trust. To trust that God is at work making the world new again. Trust like David when he was at his lowest. Trust like Jesus the night he was betrayed. Trust in God's promised kingdom. Trust. It's no simple task. And that's what makes today's teaching actually quite messy and difficult. For me too, this is no simple task of Christian self-help. It's plain hard. Through tragedy, we still trust the God who can be silent. You heard the song. And God said nothing. Before I move on, I want to recognize that I firmly believe that God still speaks today. But that isn't to say that ex-ambassador singer Sam Harris wasn't listening close enough or that he didn't pray the right way. I don't believe in formulas or magic prayers. Again, Carter Calhoun a few weeks ago, he says there's no candle or synthesizer sound that makes, this, that makes a place more inviting to the spirit. It's not magic. With that said, I do believe that God can be silent. And through suffering, like David in so many Psalms, we trust the God who can be silent. We trust God's track record. We trust the cosmic narrative. We trust the coming kingdom. But what about now? We trust God's past track record. We trust God's future fulfillment of promises. But what about here in the present? Psalm 22, 24, the same psalm that starts with God, why have you forsaken me, says, God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. God has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. God has not hidden his face from her, but has listened to her cry for help. In times of tragedy, God has not hidden himself, but listened. In times of tragedy, God has not despised or scorned, but loved. God did not hide himself from David in Psalm 22. God was not hidden from Jesus on the cross, and God is not hidden from you in your suffering. In Psalm 34, David writes that God is close to the brokenhearted. 
in our present time, God is closer than we think. So, we trust. We trust the God who can be silent. We trust the track record. We trust the cosmic narrative. We trust the coming kingdom. We trust that God is here with us in our sufferings and closer than we may think. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up our sufferings to you and we cry to you, Lord, help. Lord, we pray for healing. Lord, we cry out in desperation. Lord, I pray for people in this room that are going through difficult times, asking God, why have you forsaken me? But help us, God, to remember that you have not despised or scorned, that you have not hidden yourself, but that you are here closer than, you, than we think, and that you are near to the brokenhearted. To close, I'd like to read us another prayer. This time from, again from the Psalms, but this time from Psalm 13. We had the privilege of hearing it this morning in our liturgy, and I think that it sums up the prayer of the ex-ambassadors very well. As I read it, I invite you into a posture of prayer. As we ask God in desperation for trust in his unfailing promises. Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me.